Hi everyone and welcome to one more episode of the All Plane Podcast where we talk with movers and shakers that are redefining the future of commercial aviation. As usual, before we start, I would like to remind you that all previous episodes of this podcast as well as many other aviation stories are available on the All Plane website. That's allplane.tv, A-L-L-P-L-A-N-E dot TV. And now to today's episode. Is it a boat? Is it a plane? That's the first question that comes to mind when you see a sea glider, one of the most interesting flying craft being developed right now. The sea glider is in fact a winging ground vehicle. But I hear you asking, what's a winging ground vehicle? Well, to help us answer this question, we have here today on the podcast Billy Talheimer, CEO and founder of Regent Craft, a startup developing a new generation of winging ground vehicles. Let's start by saying that in essence, and I'm aware that I'm simplifying a bit here, a winging ground vehicle is a sort of hybrid between a boat and a plane. Winging ground vehicles, which are also known as ground effect vehicles, move at very high speeds while holding a position that is just a few meters above water, taking advantage of an aerodynamic effect, the ground effect, that is also used by birds and by aircraft during the landing phase. This is a concept that the Soviets experimented with during the Cold War, before it fell out of favor, only to be recovered and updated by entrepreneurs like Billy, using the possibilities afforded by new technology. So the electrically powered sea gliders that Billy's company is designing will be able to link coastal communities at speeds of 180 miles per hour, considerably faster than ferries and cheaper and more sustainably than traditional aircraft. This is an intriguing and at the same time quite an appealing proposition to the point that it has drawn the attention not just from some prominent Silicon Valley investors and the US Marine Corps, but also from both airlines and ferry operators, more or less in equal proportions. So I can wait to speak with Billy today and get to learn more about the Regencraft sea gliders and the revolution they promised to bring to cabotage and coastal travel. Hello, Billy. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, excited to uh, be talking about all this stuff. Excited to be talking about Regent. Yes, Regent is one of those companies that, you know, I, I keep checking constantly because there's so much going on and is such a such an amazing project because we are going to explain now for the people that are listening to us that are not familiar with the concept. Today is a bit different because we normally talk about airplanes on this podcast, but today we're going to talk about something that flies, but it's not really an airplane. Uh, technically, it's a boat, but it flies. So <laughs> um, let me just introduce you quickly. Um, so you're the founder and CEO of Region Craft. It's a startup company that is designing a ground effect vehicle or ground in wing vehicle, which is basically, it's a hybrid between a boat and a plane. So you, it's, it's like a vehicle that, that flies just a few meters over water. And, and there's a, a physical aerodynamic effect that I'm, I'm sure you will be able to explain much better now that makes this craft go very, very fast over water. So it combines capabilities of both a plane and, and a boat. So having made this introduction, I think it's best first if we start with a bit your background and how you got into this adventure. Awesome. Uh, well, again, Michael, thanks for having me on and uh, super excited to sort of bring everyone up to, up to speed on Regent. So uh, I'm Billy. Uh, like I said, I'm co-founder and CEO here at Regent. Uh, Quick background on me. Uh, I'm an aerospace engineer by education. I was at MIT undergrad and grad uh, with my co-founder, Mike, who's our, our CTO. Uh, so I was doing flight physics, aircraft design, uh, spent some time actually uh, in commercial space at Blue Origin and Virgin Galactic, decided I liked airplanes better and, and transportation. Uh, so then I went to Aurora Flight Sciences, 
uh, which was uh, an aircraft prototyping entity that was working on uh, the, the very start sort of, of electrified aviation. Uh, so I was there as an engineer. And it's and part so, of Boeing, right? Uh, yes, it was exactly. affiliated with so, Boeing. Yeah, a sort know, of experimental, experimental stuff for Boeing. Exactly. So I was there like a, a year before that. And then a, a year in, Boeing acquired Aurora. Uh, okay. which was super uh, exciting times because they're basically like, we saw Joby and we saw Archer and Lilium and, and we're the biggest aerospace company on the planet. And we don't have a horse in the race. So build us one. Uh, so mm -hmm. that's what we did. Uh, built the, the passenger air vehicle or the PAV, uh, not a very creative name, but a super cool airplane. Uh, so we, we built that in about a year. I transitioned into uh, program management, eventually business development. And so really had this awesome opportunity to see this new electrified aviation space, advanced air mobility space from all these different perspectives. Um, Mike and I are both pilots as well. So we, we got the operational experience as well. Basically formed the thesis, this is really hard to do. <laughs> and yeah. that might not be an earth shattering thesis that electrifying airplanes is hard to do, but you know why specifically? One, it's that these battery powered aircraft have limited ranges. And, and when you start baking into it, all the operational realities, your batteries age over time and you need reserve fuel in your mission. And maybe you're not flying straight routes because of noise. You know, the, the, the ranges we're gonna get with existing battery technology are on the order of 50, maybe a hundred miles. And uh, there's not really a big market within that very short range. And then on the mm -hmm. other side, the other big challenge with electrifying aviation is the regulatory pathway, which when you look back through history, it's about a decade and a billion dollars to certify a new airplane. And those are airplanes that are held together by rivets and, and fueled by dinosaurs and, you know, flown by, <laughs> by pilots, right? Now we're, we're changing the whole thing. So yes. um, that billion dollars is, is table stakes. And we're seeing that play out all over again. And the companies like Joby and Archer, who are able to raise that much, uh, are sort of the only ones who, who it seems, may get through the, the whole wicket. So mm -hmm. we said, hey... This electrified propulsion technology is amazing. Not only is it fit the sustainable mission, but it has this incredible economic profile, the maintenance costs, the fuel costs drastically lowered, it can fundamentally change the space. It's quieter, it's, it's safer and, and more redundant. So how can we get this amazing technology into the world in a way where we can actually do multi-hundred mile missions because those are the ones that are too far to drive, but too short to fly. Uh, and in a way where we can get to market for less than a billion dollars in a decade. Uh, and so that's how you stumble upon the concept of the ground effect vehicle. That it's yeah. a technology that actually we must say it's not entirely new. The, I think it was developed in, in the Soviet Union. I don't know if the Soviets were the first to develop it. I think actually it was a German guy the first that started working on this, uh, I think 19, maybe 1920s, or I don't remember, like many, many, many years ago. And I think the Soviets then are, are, the, are the first, are, are maybe the only ones until now that actually develop at a scale. Uh, they developed some military prototypes, uh, and but that, that in the 70s that they stopped and, and that kind of got forgotten, I think, completely. I mean, until you guys, and I think there, there's a couple other um, startups in, in the U one US, one in Singapore that are also working in applications al along these lines. But that's a technology that basically almost no one heard about it until very recently. And then you pick it up. So yeah. how did it happen? Well, <laughs> I mean, that's exactly right. And, and every pilot knows you know, when you're, when you're landing and in that last flare right before the runway and you spool down your power, you, you float for a bit uh, before you touch down because you're in 
that ground effect on that dynamic air cushion over the water with with those increased uh, aerodynamic benefits. So and some birds use it as well, yeah. Some birds use it as well, yeah. Pelicans, geese, and yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So every pilot knows this from the very first aircraft flight. They knew about ground effects because you can't land without it. You can't take off, but you don't feel it as much on takeoff. But you can't land without experiencing the float of the ground effect. And so very early on in aviation history, they said, well, what if we took advantage of this cushion like birds do and, and just fly it in at all times? Uh, and sort of if you follow the, the genealogy of, of WIGS, which stands for wing in ground effect, W-I-G, uh, very difficult to Google, though. You'll get a lot of hair sort of products. Uh, but if you follow the, the genealogy yeah. of eggs uh, in ground effect, uh, you'll see this sort of branch off and, and the Russians or the Soviet Union took a branch and those were the acronoplants were with these massive sort of battleship size, yeah. mile an hour, you know, turbojet powered vehicles. Uh, the, the monster of the Caspian Sea was called. Yeah. I, I, I had the chance to write an article. I, I wrote an article about region uh, for CNN a while ago, but I also had the chance to then write a follow-up article about this monster of the Caspian Sea that looks like something out of the science fiction movie. And I think now is um, stranded on a beach in, in the very far south of Russia, in the Caspian Sea. And, and people are just... Uh, walking around visiting it because it, it's not I think there's not even like a fence or anything it's just uh, it's like a, a wreck there on the beach um, so quite impressive yeah um, there. sometime I will visit it uh, and yeah. then, then there was that sort of German path that, that you saw as well which eventually the technology got sold a bunch of times and, and ended up pretty much directly in that Singaporean company you referenced yes uh, yeah so, yeah. but yeah, you know, just like um, everything in aerospace, all the cool stuff was done in the 60s, you know, no ideas new. Someone tried it <laughs> in the 60s. Uh, and, but the reason why, you know, this has sort of been forgotten uh, is that basically, you know, aviation uh, builders and, and OEMs viewed the ground effect as like the, uh, you know, the, the red herring of aviation, or it was like the, you know, the forgotten child. It's, it's a plane that can't fly, right? It's mm. less maneuverable. Yeah. When, you, when you look at its operational viability, three big problems that, that wigs and actually all seaplanes have as well in flying boats. One, uh, poor wave tolerance. They have holes that are, are flat bottoms and planing so they can hop up on the step before they take off. And so if you have any waves at all, you slapping the water surface, bouncing off the water, at best you're uncomfortable, at worst you can't fly at all. So people can't rely on this. And that's why we see seaplanes really relegated to, to lake and river operations in general. Seaplanes aren't doing a lot of open water travel uh, where mm -hmm. some of the big markets are. Uh, two is poor maneuverability. So if you if you look back at those Acronoplan videos, they're right off the water, skimming the surface. They can't even really bank their wings. So they're ripping along at airplane speeds and crowded harbors, which is clearly you know not viable. Uh, and then finally is poor safety records, not only from that traffic perspective of, of not being maneuverable, um, but also from the aircraft perspective of you're asking human pilots to control the, the airplane and, and all of your axes of freedom, a few feet off the surface of the water, moving at very high speeds. And what you get, it's basically the experience that we interviewed pilots of these early WIGs. Uh, they said incredibly high workload because they're basically landing the plane for you know an hour flight or however long the flight is. Yeah. So they're focused inside. They're looking at the controls and the grounds. What they're not looking at is the waves in front, the traffic in front. They're not navigating or communicating. Uh, in your first, you know, airplane pilot lessons that the instructor always says, keep your eyes outside the cockpit, right? Uh, but it's very easy to get lost when you're always a few feet over the water. So we said, mm -hmm. 
we're going to fix those three problems. We, we can electrify this wing and ground effect technology, which solves actually both the problems we saw in electric aviation. Uh, we can double the range of these vehicles. We can solve the range problem because we fly in the ground effects. So we have aerodynamic efficiency and we don't have reserve fuel. So range problem solved. Uh, we can solve the entry to market problem because we're not the hundredth electric aircraft in line with the FAA. We work with the Coast Guard. We are flying dock yeah. to dock over water only. We are regulated as a vessel, as you said. And so we're working there. And then we can solve these three problems that the WIGs throughout history have had uh, with modern technology. So legally speaking, is a boat. Legally so speaking, it... it's a boat. And it makes sense operationally. Yeah. The, the captains of sea gliders are looking up at the masts of sailboats. They're looking up yeah. at cruise ships and, and cargo yeah. ships. They're very much in the maritime domain. Yeah. Well, sorry, I have to make a precision here. I don't know if it's a boat, a ship. I, I know like naval people would get very upset by a misuse of these words. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not an expert, but uh, I, I hope it, it, it was understood what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you're taking this technology and you are bringing up to the 21st century technology standards. But how are you solving all these problems uh, about the stability and, and uh, maneuverability? What's different this time? That you, what are you making different that um, you can say, well, this is going to be um, a stable, safe, comfortable way to travel? Yeah. So um, again, sort of three problems that we saw with past wing and ground effect vehicles, the, the poor wave tolerance, poor maneuverability, and the poor safety. Uh, so on the wave tolerance side, we said, we're going to use hydrofoils. So for those who don't know, hydrofoils are underwater wings. Uh, they're used on the America's Cup racing yachts, sail GP racing yachts. You might even be familiar with the e-foil surfboards. Uh, but they're small underwater wings that provide lifts. You prop up the vessel on a stilt, basically. Uh, and so as long as that foil is submerged, you have wave tolerance as, as high as your stilt is, because the waves can go in between the foil and, and the bottom of the hull of the vessel. Uh, so we're going to strap hydrofoils onto the wing and ground effect vehicle. And so now we have three modes of operation. We float, foil, and fly. Uh, so rather than accelerating through a takeoff run on our hull, we'll rise up on our hydrofoils where we have huge wave tolerance. And because this technology is adapted from racing boats, we actually have huge maneuverability too. So we solve how, that problem. How big can, can the wave be? Because you plan to operate in, in the Atlantic, for example, where you can have pretty large waves. I don't know how you measure it in inches or in, in meters or... <laughs> Yeah, so uh, on our on our first product vehicle, uh, which we call Viceroy, so that's a 12-passenger sea glider vehicle, uh, we'll have five feet of wave tolerance uh, on mm -hmm. those hydrofoils. So the, the stilts are actually about six feet long, uh, so about two meters long, we'll have five feet or about a meter and a half of wave tolerance. And so you are working on two versions, I think. One is a, the smaller one. It's a 12-passenger, 12, 12 I guess, and, and crew, so... How many in total, like 15 or something like that? Yeah, so uh, 12 passenger and, and two crew. Really, it's it's operated by one single captain. And then there's a second one on board that's more of like a, a deckhand uh, okay. slash flight attendant sort of concept, right? The, the helper. Mm -hmm. 
And, and then you have another another version. I don't know how how advanced it is at the moment. Uh, it's going to be more like uh, what about eighty or ninety people, something like that. Yeah. So uh, in the in the sort of full economy configuration, Monarch is our larger sea glider, uh, entry to service towards the end of the decade, and that'll be a hundred passengers in the 100. configuration. Uh, and mm -hmm. some of our airline partners are looking at doing sort of a multi-class configuration that might drop it down to you know seventy or so. Mm -hmm. And and you are aiming for which markets? Because you're creating a, a whole new way of traveling, a new a new category. Are you aiming for the people that are currently flying? Uh, for people that are uh, what what sort of what's the average distance that you plan to fly, and and what sort of markets are you after? Yeah. So um, with existing battery technology, I talked about how leveraging the ground effect and being able to use our our full batteries. Uh, is gives us double the range of any electric aircraft. So we have 180 miles of range and we can fly at 180 miles an hour. So we're doing one hour trips uh, with existing battery technology. And of course, as those batteries uh, evolve and, and get better uh, and Elon pays for new chemistries, mm -hmm. then we get to take advantage of that and, and fly further too. So 180 mile max range, sort of the, the sweet spot, we're probably going to see around 100, 150 miles in, in that range. But we have customers that are looking as short as 30 mile trips and customers that are looking at that, you know, max range 180 or even a little bit beyond with some sort of range and speed optimization. Mm -hmm. Have you identified already uh, what should, what could potentially be your first uh, market, your the first geographical locations where uh, you will be able to deploy the sea gliders? Yeah, well, we have um, our first customer uh, in line. We're actually one of the few companies in this advanced air mobility sort of adjacent space uh, that has firm orders. So we actually have yeah. well over the first year booked out with customers placing non-refundable deposits down and contractually obligated pre-delivery payment schedules. So we have a, a very mature and robust order book. Uh, and those deposits are also helping fund the development of the technology that's working capital for region. Uh, so how many very, firm? How many firm orders you have at the moment? So we, we haven't been discussing the exact number. Uh, okay. But we do have over a year of, of our delivery, so I, I can say that the first one uh, is going to uh, Southern Airways Express, which is now part of Surf Air uh, after that merger, uh, and they operate as Mokalele Airlines in Hawaii. Uh, mm -hmm. So uh, very likely that 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 will be either uh, a a Mokalele Airlines run Sea Glider. Uh, in Hawaii, where we just launched the Hawaii Sea Glider Initiative uh, to to further that technological advancement, uh, and or uh, as Surfair, where we announced a partnership with Surfair operating in Miami. So those those are probably some of the key targets for the the very first Sea Glider commercial route. Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, you you brought forward uh, another topic I wanted to ask you about, and that's the market reception that you've got, the market feedback. Um, because I'm I'm reading constantly, I'm getting your press releases, and I get uh, all the <laughs> all these announcements that you you've got quite an impressive uh, list of of companies there that have. Uh, I don't know if all of them have already firm orders, but uh, some of them have invested, like Japan Airlines. And and uh, I think also yeah as you mentioned in you have projects in Hawaii, I think you have another project in Miami, um, you have other um, you are also working with the 
U.S. Marine Corps as well, because obviously that has uh, also military applications. Quite quite a few uh, quite a few orders from from different parts of the world. And yeah, I wanted to ask you about what's the feedback you're getting. I mean, people are planning to use that to replace existing air services to create a new market to introduce a new mode of transportation. What do you think is going to be the the main vector here for for the deployment of the sea gliders? You know, it's been really cool uh, as the as the technology developer to to bring this technology to the world and say, hey, we have this capability that can go uh, th- that is half the cost of your existing aircraft, uh, but can fly at the same speed, but doesn't need to use airports. We have this technology that is six times faster than your ferries and around the same uh, cost per ticket price point. We have this technology that is completely green, so battery powered, zero emission, super quiet, uh, and can basically go door to door. What would you do with it? And so uh, we, we've seen some uh, really uh, amazing customer use cases. Um, we've certainly seen, you know, a, as you said, a, a replacement, right? So of a of a turboprop aircraft, for example, or a regional jet, which are very expensive on regional routes, dominated by their maintenance costs. Uh, we've seen, you know, air, regional airlines say we're going to replace our routes. So we're going to we're going to fly them with sea gliders instead. Uh, mm-hmm. We've seen. Uh, larger airlines uh, and the ferry lines who are, who are taking even more people on each vessel say, oh, well, this isn't necessarily a replacement, but it's a new service we can add. It, it, we can uh, carry more people in our network by adding these and, and the cost per head is lower and, and there is zero uh, addition to our total emissions. Uh, or to the ferry companies, we can now offer a new class of service, which besides this slow boat where you can take your car, now if you want to go fast and go direct and be commuting to work, you can take the sea glider. We've seen other use cases too, uh, like um, emergency response. Uh, so we look at you know the fires recently in Maui or the typhoon in New Zealand or the earthquakes in Japan, all coastal all with very low infrastructure uh, and sea gliders could be part of that disaster response and, and recovery solution. Are you getting more interest from the ferry, uh, the, the, the the shipping service companies or from the airline uh, side of, of things? Right now it's actually split uh, roughly in our orders, which is, which is pretty cool to see, you know, each industry totally different, not talking to each other at all, sort of uh-huh. the, developing use cases for it. And each of them have different switching costs, right? Like, and, mm-hmm. and that's, that's acknowledged. There's a new technology, there's some switching costs. So to a ferry operator, they can use the same ports, their same captains that go under a, a quick six to eight week training program with Regent to get their sea glider endorsement, but maritime captains, their same routes even, uh, but you know they need to figure out uh, how to operate more like an aircraft network because now they have speeds and ranges that they're not used to. Uh, to the to the airlines that are used to operating these networks and moving the pieces around, they obviously need to learn how to operate from docks and and with mariners at the helm. So it's been really cool to you know talk with each group about how to um, how to adopt this technology uh, with DOD mm-hmm. working with the Marine Corps. Uh, the mission is obviously slightly different. We're focused on the high speed logistics mission in the Indo Pacific. So. Uh, what we're seeing in sort of future geopolitical conflicts is a reversion to a little bit more World War II style tactics where we're island hopping and we're moving troops and supplies around and and, and these bases are very temporary uh, and expeditionary. Uh, and so what we need is just more boats. We need more stuff out there. We need quick ways of moving things around. Uh, and we've seen uh, the Marine Corps under Force Design 2030 basically say, we're going to change the whole composition of our force to these smaller commercially available lower signature assets we can move around. So it is right mm-hmm. in line with the strategy uh, and, and the capability gap in high-speed logistics of the Marine Corps. 
Mm -hmm. And what about the um, uh, regulatory framework? Because you mentioned it regulated by the Coast Guard, but I'm thinking here, uh, if this thing is moving so fast by uh, through waters that might be there might be things moving on like big ships, uh, sailing boats, uh, like all sorts of things moving in the water, and then th th this thing comes at 180 miles per hour. Um, do you need some type of of uh, designated corridor to to move safely? And what sort of infrastructure you need at each end of the of the routes that you are covering with with the sea glider? Yeah, so sea gliders are, are designed to work with existing docks. Obviously, we'll need chargers, uh, like any yep. electric vehicle, we need chargers. And in many cases, the ports are actually already electrified because the cruise ships and the ferries are coming in. They need hotel power in ports. The, the ports don't want them burning their really dirty engines. So there's already dozens of megawatts installed at the ports that we mm -hmm. can tap into, uh, which is a, a very unique tailwind that the rest of AAM and aviation doesn't have. There are not necessarily dozens of megawatts installed at the airports like there are at the, at the seaports. Um, so we are pretty infrastructure light as it pertains to use at the ports. Uh, in any of the crowded environments in the marina, we're floating on our hull, maneuvering like a boat. Uh, in the harbor, even where we expect to have traffic, we are also a boat. We're still a boat. We're on those hydrofoils. So we're going as slow as 20 miles an hour, as fast as about 50 miles an hour, uh, but incredibly maneuverable. It's not until we enter the open water, uh, and there's a lot of space in the open water, even some of the tightest sort of uh, you know, um, shipping channels. There's still a lot of space between these boats and the open water. Only then do we take off onto our wing and, and fly in that ground effect at 180 miles an hour. And I guess you have a rudder, so you can, if you're flying at 180 miles per hour and all of a sudden, like something, some object comes just ahead of you, you can you can uh, just avoid it quickly. Um, you have this sort of mechanism, I guess, to just to make it safer. To, yeah, well, to go the fast. Part, the, the, the important part of, of flying fast in the water, where we're only doing 2D traffic deconflections, we're only going left and right. You really okay. think about sea gliders as very fast boats, but <laughs> we're going to control the sea glider and, and avoid traffic in the same way as a very fast boat, uh, is uh -huh. making sure that nothing just appears in front of you, right? So it, it's making sure that uh, the captains are trained in, in you know visual detection of maritime traffic and also that they are supplemented by an incredibly robust maritime situational awareness suite. So we, we are developing sensor suites now. We're flying them in helicopters at the same speeds and altitudes uh, that sea gliders will be flying at every day uh, that is composed of uh, radar. We're looking at computer vision systems and LIDAR systems. Uh, we'll be stitching that with AIS, which is sort of the ADSB of, of the sea. So all the big ships have transponders as well. We'll fuse that picture together uh, and then, you know, we will both present that to the captain and also, um, you know, provide uh, sort of suggested routing and, and, and avoidance. But when we're out there in the helicopter, even in some of the most crowded waterways we can find in the open water, we have plenty of time. We, you know, we see the ship pop up on the radar system and we see it pop up on AIS and we say, there's the ship and we turn a little bit and we miss it by a mile. So um, it's really when we're only talking about the high speed operations in the open water, which is different from the harbor where we're a boat in the harbor, but then we're this high-speed craft in the open water with the sensor suite we develop, we'll actually have plenty of time. Not, nothing will ever pop up and we have to avoid it. We'll, we'll see it literally miles away. Mm -hmm. uh, and where are you now with the project? I think you built up a mock-up, a full-scale mock-up. Uh, how far are you from having a, a fully working prototype and what are the next stages in the development process? What, what's the time frame basically? 
Yeah, so um, the, the first step of Regent was to prove out the technology, prove out we could do float foil fly. Uh, if you think about the hard parts of the EV tolls, it's that hover to wing transition. For us, the hard part is the foil to wing transition. So uh, we did that, we proved that. Mm -hmm. With uh, a small scale a small scale demonstrator, yeah? I, I've seen yeah. some, some images of that. Yeah, yeah. that's the, the quarter scale we were testing. So about 18 foot or five and a half meter wingspan there. Mm -hmm. Um, but we, we sort of got all the physics learnings and control learnings and proof points we needed out of that. Now the company is focused on our full-scale human carrying prototypes. We're going direct to full-scale, uh, carrying humans on board. This is 15,000 pounds, uh, full dimensions, so 65-foot wingspan with room for those 12 passengers and two crew. Uh, super exciting because it's coming together right now. Uh, we'll have that on the water in late summer and, and are expecting to fly by the end of the year. This year? That's planned. The Oh, wow. Amazing. And if everything goes uh, as expected, what's the longer term time frame? When can you, sorry, when can we expect the sea gliders to enter service commercially with one of those operators that have placed orders already? Yeah, we're, we're targeting mid-decade. Uh, so, you know, within sort of the, the next few years, I, I'd say from now, we're, we're working with our operators right now because it's not just sort of the technology readiness and the operators uh, you know, to, to your earlier point about sort of the, the ecosystems and the stakeholders and community response, that's why we're doing things like the Hawaii Sea Glider Initiative is making sure infrastructures are there, marinas are ready, Coast Guard knows how it works, charging infrastructure, if it doesn't already exist, is installed, uh, and the environment is appropriately protected both above and below the water. So we're working on those efforts now, expected to be a, another few years post-prototype uh, uh, before getting into service. But we're talking mid-decades, so we're not that far away. So this decade, so you were talking like some sometime between 2025 and 2030, some some sometime <laughs> yeah, on like that that, <laughs> that time frame. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, right. and this Hawaiian initiative, what is it exactly? Is it like uh, as you mentioned, you talking to different actors in this field? Um, but is there going to be some sort of test on the ground or on the water or something like that in the near well, future? The the goal of the Hawaii Sea Glider Initiative is for this uh, sort of multi-stakeholder coalition composed of community and industry and government members uh, to sort of advance the, the technology and determine the feasibility of sea gliders in the Hawaii ecosystem. So um, it's a really great model where uh, Regent is the technology provider, but it is this independent coalition that is driving the, the sea glider forward. Uh, we have uh, amazing uh, community members uh, that are expressing the interests of the community. So people need to get to work uh, and they don't have the infrastructure for that right now. People need access to medical care and economic opportunities. Uh, and also we need to be protecting uh, the environment and the infrastructure that is there and everything needs to sort of work together. So we have great community members. And then we have our corporate members who, you know, Regent, the technology provider, Pacific Current is a branch of Hawaiian Electric Industries as an infrastructure provider and utility, also AES Hawaii, similar there. So we have sort of that side. And then we have the operator side. Obviously, Mokalele Airlines is that first order holder, Hawaiian Airlines and Japan Airlines as investors in region. But we've also seen now Alaska Airlines and, and United Airlines 
getting interested in this technology, joining the Hawaii Sea Glider Initiative to learn about sea glider technology, not only in Hawaii, but ostensibly around the rest of the world. Uh, we also have Young Brothers, which does most of the inter-island cargo in Hawaii. So not only do we have the perspective of the passenger transportation entities, but also the, the cargo. So we have this really rich ecosystem of stakeholders where we all come to the table and we say, how's this gonna work? What are the problems? you know, make sure we're not stepping on toes because the clock's ticking, you know, only a few years out now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, indeed. Um, we didn't mention cargo, but that's also another another market. And we also didn't mention Hawaiian Airlines, which is another investor. Actually, you've got quite a few prominent investors. I think you've got Mark Cuban as well, um, a fund linked to uh, Peter Thiel as well. So quite quite a few Silicon Valley, let's say, big names there investing in, in region. You have also attracted some really big names of industry, like uh, I think former uh, Boeing CEO. Uh, you have David Nilleman as well from uh, from uh, Jet, uh, founder of JetBlue and then Azul and, and now Breeze Airways, Lockheed, some really large Japanese uh, corporations. So a pretty impressive array of, of investors. All this investment is it going to make uh, to build the industrial capacity to to make the sea gliders, or what? What are the plans? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, so absolutely that amazing list of investors. I'd also say, you know, from the strategics as well with Japan Airlines, Hawaiian Airlines, Mesa Airlines, one of the largest regionals in North America, uh, Yamato uh, Transport, which is the largest logistics provider in Japan, and also Lockheed Martin on, on the defense side. So we've been really fortunate in that strategic backing as well. Um, the majority of the capital right now going into the, the technology development, engineering and test uh, of that full-scale prototype. So we are we are all forces go on that and, and the majority of the company engineering, putting together that prototype, testing it uh, and ensuring it's it's safe uh, and ready for human crew. No plans to build a, f um, a factory or some industrial capacity? We're, we're absolutely the... working on that too. So, you know, with, uh, with only a few years uh, until entry to service here, uh, we've already laid the plans of our factory. We are working with uh, Dennis Mullenberg, who's one of our advisors, as you said, former CEO of Boeing and, and some yeah. Boeing execs who have run these big lines before to say, you know, yes, we're a startup, but why don't we, why don't we get some of the lessons from how Boeing did it? And we can sort of find that the middle ground that works for us. Uh, so we have the plans for the buildings We're we're working right now actually uh, on the, on the plans to start building. So we, we expect that uh, in only a few months here to get going on our manufacturing facility. So we're really excited about that too. Is this going to be in, uh, you're based in Rhode Island, yeah? In, in yeah, the, we're, we're based in Rhode Island. We're doing all our testing on Narragansett Bay. Uh, certainly the, the top choice right now, the top candidate for where we're going to place that manufacturing facility. Great. And in the meantime, people that wish to learn more about Regioncraft, what's the best resource that you could recommend? I guess your website. I don't know if there are other, other social media channels uh, where you actively share all the novelties. Yeah. Uh, uh, thanks. Thanks for asking. Uh, so we're at uh, regentcraft.com, R-E-G-E-N-T craft.com. Uh, if you're interested in the Hawaii Sea Glider Initiative, that's hawaiiseaglider.org. Sea Glider is one word. Uh, we're pretty active on, on LinkedIn. Uh, we're just Regent on LinkedIn. Uh, also on, on Twitter and Instagram. We post all our cool videos, all our flight videos on Instagram. Uh, and so, yeah, that, that's where we've been putting most of the information out. Amazing. Well, thank you so much today for uh, making time for, for this conversation. It's always great to to learn the 
the novelties of about this this really really exciting project. In the meantime, well, wishing you all the best and hope to see the sea gliders on the water and and flying really soon. Thank you very much, Billy. We're 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 making sea gliders mainstream, so we'll we'll add that to the dictionary soon. But Michael, thanks so much for having me on the show. It's great chatting with you. Great, thank you very much. If you like this podcast, you can support us by giving it a great rating on Apple, Spotify, or whichever platform you get it from. And remember, you can, of course, subscribe to it. And you can also get regular updates through the Allplane website. That's A-L-L-P-L-A-N-E.tv. We have a newsletter where we cover the aviation industry every week with a special focus on innovation and sustainability. So give it a go. Thank you and goodbye. Goodbye.